the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cares about you. And some of you maybe just need to, you know, highlight that in your Bibles or go home and write it down, put it somewhere prominent, because sometimes, because of what I'm about to read in the next couple verses, you think God doesn't care about you. And there's a reason why sometimes we don't think God cares about us, and it's good to be reminded, God cares about me, God cares about me, God cares about me, He loves me, and He wants me to cast all my cares on Him. You feel small and insignificant in this world with 8 billion people in it? You're like a drop in the ocean. That's a humbling thought. But as Pastor Gary will remind us in today's message, you matter to God. He values you. It's hard to fathom how He could care about each one of us individually in that way, but that's what Scripture teaches, and His Spirit demonstrates it to our hearts. Take it in. And remind yourself daily that God loves you and cares deeply about your well-being. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. He goes, okay, listen, all 12 of you guys, just just gather around the campfire here, make some s'mores, I got some stuff to say to you. And he says to them this, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. You know, they, they, uh, they use their authority in an oppressive, abusive way. And their great ones exercise authority over them. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's very counterintuitive, especially in our culture, The idea that leadership is really about servanthood. And I don't care whether you're in a position of leadership authority or whatever it might be, all of us are called to servanthood. All of us are called to serve one another in love. All of us are called to have a servant's heart. Now, years ago... um, Gail Ehrman was here speaking, and he made this statement uh, in our old building years ago. 
And uh, he made this statement that has always stuck with me about having a servant's heart. He says, here's how you will know if you have a servant's heart. Because everybody's like, yeah, as a Christian, I'm going to have a servant's heart, servant's heart, servant's heart. So we need to have servant's heart. Okay. And all of us can think we have a servant's heart. And I'll never forget. Here's what he said. Here's how you can tell if you have a servant's heart. It's how you react when someone treats you like one. Mm, I heard some mm, in the congregation. Yeah. How you react when someone treats you like a servant. Now, that isn't to say that, that, that people have liberty to walk all over you, okay? And unfortunately, some people will do that. That's not what I'm saying. It's just how do we respond, okay? Because a real servant doesn't care about the notoriety. A real servant doesn't care about the attention. A real servant doesn't care about who knows. You just do it because it's, it's just humbling and it's honoring to other people. It's respectful of other people. But how do you deal with it when you go unnoticed and when you go unappreciated? Did you do it only for the gratitude? Because a real servant-hearted person does it as unto the Lord, not because they get the thank you, not because they get the notoriety. So how do you react when someone treats you like one in that sense? Like, how do you react when someone doesn't acknowledge you, doesn't say thank you, doesn't appreciate what you do? Because then that's when you can really tell, did I do this with a servant's heart? Or did I do this because deep down inside I just wanted somebody to pay me a little attention or give me some gratitude or whatever it might be? And so here in this context, you know, Peter is saying, listen, as, as pastors in particular, don't use your authority lording it over those entrusted to you, but set the example. And I have to be honest with you, you know, there are times when I just uh, say to the Lord, I'd, I'd, rather, um, I'd rather sell computers because I... I know that then people don't necessarily look at me for an example because I don't necessarily always like feeling like I'm, you know, living in a glass house. I'm just being real with you. And, you know, I've said this before, but I get the looks like when I'm like when I'm at Costco. First of all, this is the look I get at Costco. Like you shop at Costco. That's it. <laughs> That's what I get. And, you know, like I've got on a baseball cap and, you know, I've just got on, you know, whatever. And somebody's like, I can't, I, you wear baseball hats? I can't even believe it. You know, and so it's funny the reaction I get. But then this is the second reaction I get. Mm, what's in your cart? Mm, mm-hmm. Pastor G, you know, what are you buying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's in your cart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just checking it out. Yeah. Seeing if you're a godly example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like to have fun. I like to look in your cart, you know, and I just like, ah, what do you got going on? You know, what's your game? Hmm? What are you drinking? Hmm, all right. But nevertheless, this is what we're called to be. It doesn't mean that every pastor is a perfect example. Please don't look at me. Please look at Jesus, right? Please look at Jesus. But nevertheless, we are supposed to recognize that with the responsibility of being a pastor goes the responsibility of living a life that... Um, at least points people somehow to Jesus as examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he says here at the end, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. So, unless you're a pastor, you don't get a crown of glory. (laughs) Lead humbly. What is wrong with me? Listen, here's the good news. Everybody gets different. There are three types of crowns mentioned in the Bible. Crown of glory right here. There's also the crown of righteousness mentioned in 2 Timothy uh, 4 verse 8, which you get too. And also James 1, 12 and Revelation 2, 10 says about the crown of life. Three, three types of crowns that we get. Crown of glory, crown of righteousness, crown of life. But here's the reality, okay? 
including my own little, hopefully maybe there is some kind of little tiny crown of glory. But here's, here's the reality for all three of those that all of us, you know, get. In Revelation 4, it says we're all throw our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. It won't matter. Because but when we get to heaven, it's not going to be like, whoa, I can hardly hold my head up. Look at my crown. <laughs> Woo! Crown of glory. Woo! Because when we, because there's not going to be any of that. Can you imagine if there's competition over your crown? Because in Revelation 4, what it says is we end up just casting all of our crowns down. We are undone in the presence of Jesus. Nobody is wearing a crown. Everybody is undone. We're just throwing or casting our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. So as soon as you get it, you just, and don't, it won't even be a power struggle. Don't even think it will for a moment. It's going to be, okay, Jesus, here, you can have your crown back. It's just because we're going to be just so undone in the presence of the Lord. We are just going to be like, Lord, here, take the crown. I, I want nothing. I want no one except you. So as much as this looks like a little bonus that pastors get or we get all together, um, it's going down to the feet of Jesus anyway. All right, let's look on to uh, verse um, 5. Likewise, here's where, here's where you younger people get, get nailed a little bit, so uh, it's your turn. Likewise, you younger people... Submit yourself to your elders. Underline that every young person in your, in your Bibles right now. Every parent loves that verse too, don't you? You're going to put that on a three by five card and put that in your teenager's room, aren't you? Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Okay, again, it's not a power trip. It's one another. And be clothed with humility. So in other words, he's saying here, humility extends to everyone. This is not just something that pastors have to uh, practice. This, is, this extends to everybody, no matter what your age, whether you're elder or whether you're younger or anywhere in between. He says, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, you know, it's interesting. He, he does specifically refer here to younger people, and the reason may be because and I'm sure um, you would agree with me if you're older now, but probably when you were younger, you know, I, I may have disagreed with what I'm about to say. But basically, youth and immaturity, okay, often leads to a self-inflated view. We tend to think when we're younger that, you know, we're all that and we got everything figured out until you hit the reality of life. And you realize, I don't know as much as I thought I knew, and I don't have it all together as much as I thought I did. And so uh, perhaps he's addressing younger people for that very reason, because youth and immaturity often leads to an overinflated view of self. But he, in general, says to everybody here, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now he's quoting Proverbs 3.34. And again, it applies to everybody. And Peter's not the only one who quoted from Proverbs 3.34. James also did in James 4.6. James quotes this same proverb. So it's repeated a couple of times in the New Testament. And, you know, again, the bottom line is, do we want God to resist us or give us grace? Which side of that do you want to be on? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Do we want God to resist us or do we want God to grace us? And I, I want and need God's grace every minute of every day. And therefore, the challenge is, if we want to be graced by God rather than resisted by God, we need to humble ourselves before God. Because God resists the proud. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And therefore, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may 
exalt you or lift you up in due time. Verse 7, this is a great verse, verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And it's an interesting verb there in verse 7, casting. He doesn't say laying down all your care upon him for he cares for you. That, that would be fine instruction. But he actually uses a word in the Greek that means to throw it. It's, an, it's a word that implies energy. It, it's like, actually, don't just, like, get rid of it. Like, get rid of your cares. Like, cast it on him. Throw it on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. And he wants his best you. And so he calls us to cast all our cares. Don't, you know, if you want to keep your cares all to yourself, you can try to deal with them all to yourself, but it is much better when we cast them on the one who can deal with what concerns us better than we can ourselves. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Now, this is very unusual language in first century Roman Empire. Because remember, first century Roman Empire, they're polytheistic people. They, they believe in multiple gods. And it is completely foreign to the Roman polytheistic mindset that a god actually cares about you. See, they, they were all about multiple gods, distant gods who are typically angry with you. When Peter writes here in the first century, this is so counter to what the culture was in the day when Roman polytheism was just all about multiple gods who didn't really care about you. He personalizes the true and living God here. And he says, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cares about you. And some of you maybe just need to, you know, highlight that in your Bibles or go home and write it down, put it somewhere prominent, because sometimes, because of what I'm about to read in the next couple of verses, you think God doesn't care about you. And there's a reason why sometimes we don't think God cares about us, and it's good to be reminded, God cares about me, God cares about me, God cares about me. He loves me, and he wants me to cast all my cares on him. Look at how it continues, verse 8. And this is, this is uh, the third aspect of suffering. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil walks around, and Ivy says, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in this closing section, he has a little PS in the next couple of verses we'll get to in just a minute to wrap up our study. But in this closing section here, he ends with this instruction about the reality of the devil, because he doesn't want us to be ignorant about this. Now, look, the devil or Satan is a real being. He is not a figment of our imagination. He is not the counter voice on one shoulder, you know, to the angel on the other shoulder. Uh, he's not a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. He's, he's not God's opposite either, by the way, because God has no equal, therefore he has no rival. God is unequaled. Having said that, Satan is opposed 
to everything that God is about and everything that God loves, including you. And we need to get this. Satan is opposed to everything about God and everything that God loves. So Peter just gets through saying, cast all your cares on the Lord. He cares about you. Now, by the way, Satan is opposed to you. The God who cares about you is uh, also the same one that we need to turn to because there's an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion wanting to devour you. So you better cast all your cares on the Lord, and this is one of them. There is a real enemy of our souls, and he's called here the devil. The devil uh, just simply means false accuser or slanderer, and he has many different titles and or names in the Bible. He's called Satan, which means adversary in Job 1.6. He's called the tempter in 1 Thessalonians 3.5. He's called the wicked one in Matthew 13.19. He's called the accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12.10. He's called the prince of this world in John 12.31. And if you're trying to take notes, you'll have to come back later because I'm going to keep going through the list. He's also called the ruler of the kingdom of the air in Ephesians 2.2. He's called the dragon in Revelation 12, 9, the serpent in Genesis 3, 1, Lucifer in Isaiah 14, 12, and here in 1 Peter 5, 8, he's called a roaring lion. Ezekiel 28 tells us that Satan was originally a guardian cherub, chief among the angels in heaven, until pride filled his heart. He rebelled against God in heaven and became the head of a kingdom of evil spirits called demons. Those were the angels who rebelled with him. And so he was kicked out of heaven to earth. In Ezekiel 28, 17, the Bible says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. God says, so I threw you to the earth. In Revelation 12, 9, it says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Jesus described it like this in Luke 10, 18. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And now Satan roams the earth like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, Paul says, do not be unaware of Satan's schemes. Satan is always scheming against you. He wants to bring division in your marriage, in your home, in the church. Satan always wants to inspire fear in your life, discouragement, hopelessness. Satan likes to incite hatred. He likes to tempt us with sin. He lies to us all the time. And so Peter says here, there are some things that you need to be aware of in withstanding the roaring lion. And he says these four things to us. He says, first, I want you to be sober and vigilant. NIV says, I want you to be self-controlled and alert. There's no time for games. There's a sobriety about this. We have to be vigilant about this. Satan is unseen and the demons with him. 
but he is constantly working in your life, in your home, everything about you he hates because you remind him of your father in heaven. And so he's prowling around like a roaring lion, just looking for somebody he can devour, afflict, tempt, discourage, divide. This is his motive, his mode of operation. And Peter says here, I want you to be sober. I want you to be aware of this. I want you to be vigilant. He says also, number two, I want you to resist him. Resist him. Don't give in. Fight the good fight of the faith. Be wise about the way that Satan works. Be on to his schemes. And then resist him. Don't give in. Number three, stand firm in the faith. Uh, It says in the New King James, steadfast in the faith. But that's what he means. NIV says, stand firm in the faith. Don't go anywhere. You know, it, it can feel, trust me, I understand like anybody else, it can feel, you can start to get really battle weary. You start to get really battle weary sometimes and just want to like throw in the towel. But you resist him, you stand firm in the faith, and you remember that you're not alone. What you're going through is probably very similar to what other people are going through in the ways that Satan tries to work overtime on us. Peter says, I want to remind you that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. By other brothers and sisters around the world, they're going through similar kinds of suffering, the way that Satan tries to work on us. But look at what God is going to do. He says, but in verse 10, may the God of all grace, he's the God of all grace, isn't that good? Who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. There's that, the hope of heaven again. After you've suffered a little while, because life has its share of it, God's going to perfect you, establish you, strengthen and settle you. And that's why he ends here by saying to him, be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because the Lord is our strength. You know, we were singing earlier, Lion of the tribe of Judah, and it reminded me, you know, here we are tonight talking about Satan like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But the good news is we have a greater lion. We have the Lion of the tribe of Judah who fights our battles for us. And he adds this little PS here at the end, verse 12. He says, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. Now, when he says, by Silvanus, I have written to you, it tells us that Silvanus was probably the penman for Peter. That Peter dictated this and Silvanus was writing it down. And Silvanus, most Bible scholars believe, is the same as Silas, one of the traveling companions of the Apostle Paul. It's just a more formal name. Silvanus is probably the same as Silas in the Bible, and he is the scribe for Peter. And so Peter says, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon. Remember, at our opening of the, of the study of this uh, epistle, we talked about how she is a feminine reference probably to the church at Rome, this is probably where Paul, uh, rather Peter is writing from. This is kind of a euphemism for Babylon being Rome during a time of great persecution. He's, it's code word here. That, that's what it probably means here. She who is in Babylon, the church in Rome, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son, my son in the faith, not a biological son, 
Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. First Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow! Imagine that, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This inheritance isn't subject to taxes or diminished by inflation. God is keeping this inheritance for everyone who lives by faith in His Son. There is so much great news wrapped up in just these few verses. Imagine what the rest of the book will contain. Pastor Gary Hamrick is working through the rich, encouraging book of 1 Peter in this series on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. For more information, including location and service times, head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'd love to see you here next time for more from Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.